Good morning, church. It's uh, great to be here. Good to see all of you here this morning. <clears throat> Cold, snowy day. I didn't know it was supposed to snow today, but uh, it looks pretty out there and uh, very nice. <clears throat> Back of our bulletin is a sermon outline. If you'd like to follow along there or write any additional scriptures or thoughts, and then the sermon outline should be uh, on the screen behind us. <clears throat> Excuse me while I get a drink. <clears throat> theme of our message this morning is a perfect Christmas. And our text is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And um, this is the story of the visit of the wise men. <clears throat> and uh, they're coming to worship Jesus as he's a child now. And uh, they stop by and uh, talk to Herod to get some additional information. And we're going to jump into the story after they had talked with Herod and uh, got some scriptural information of where he was going to be born and uh, <clears throat> some of the events that take place. And we're going to pull out four of these. <clears throat> Reading from the New American Standard. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. <clears throat> Each one of us here, all of us want to have a perfect Christmas. Perfect Christmas. What does it mean to you? It may mean something different to each of us. Maybe a perfect Christmas to you is having all of your family together to spend the holidays with them. Or maybe a, a perfect Christmas to you is getting all the presents that you want. Or maybe a Perfect Christmas to you is getting a break from work and having a time to be able to relax. Or maybe a perfect Christmas to you is having a, a family member who is in the military home. Or maybe a, a child who is in college or school and is away back home. Or maybe it's a child who's living out of state and maybe they come home for the holidays Maybe one of those things make a perfect Christmas to you. But no matter what it is that would bring a perfect Christmas to you and your family, all of us want to have it, right? We all want a perfect Christmas. Well, the Bible shows us what elements are involved in the perfect Christmas right here in these few verses that I read for you. May you... Experience all the elements of a perfect Christmas. A Christmas day and also uh, 
every Christmas that you would have after this. And not only that, but what about every day? First off, we see here that it was a day of <clears throat> great joy. Verse 10. When the wise men from the east <clears throat> saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Huh. For them, a, a perfect Christmas was being able to rejoice exceedingly and with great joy because they saw a star. You see, those who missed the star <clears throat> missed the joy. The wise men, they saw the star in the east, back in their home country, probably Persia, Babylon area, <clears throat> and they followed it to Jerusalem. Well, well, what is this star, or what could it be? The star could have just been a normal star uh, that led the wise men, but um, some scholars say that it may have been a supernatural star introduced <clears throat> into the heavens, specifically here, to guide the wise men to where the Christ child was. The fact that it's interesting there in verse 2 of Matthew 2, it says that it's his star. Huh, it's this king that they came to worship. It's Jesus' star. Something special. They single it out out of all the other stars of the heavens and the night sky and say his star. This indicates that the wise men identified this star with the revival, the uh, <clears throat> arrival of the king of the Jews. <clears throat> now, who were these wise men? Some of your translations may say different things. Um, these wise men, if they came from the east and they came from the Babylon Persian area, in Daniel chapter 2, 2, these wise men, they were magi. They were astrologers. They studied the stars and studied the, the stars of the night sky. But it also says that they're magicians and sorcerers and Chaldeans. So a combination of these things. They studied all of these different arts and all of this different information. And uh, these men could have just been um, Persian, Babylonian, descendant type people. Or they could have been descendants from uh, the Jews that stayed there in Babylon after they were allowed to come home there by the Persians. And uh, they... Uh, stayed there and kept doing these studies and were involved in these things. And it came that they knew the prophecies that Daniel had written and other Old Testament prophecies and a combination of those plus seeing this star gives them this information that, hey, this is the right time. And uh, this star's leading us. We need to go on this journey and it's, we see that when they see this star again, they saw the star that led them. For some reason, the star uh, went away while they went and talked to Herod and the scholars and got some additional information. And we see some biblical information from uh, Micah 
that uh, this child was going to be born in Bethlehem in Judah. <clears throat> so that was leading them. And Herod wanted them to come back after they found this child. And uh, why did he want them to come back? He wanted to kill him. He felt threatened. He was afraid of this child. So we see he had bad intent, but we see that they leave. And when they do, here's this star again. It brought them joy, excitement. And so much so that when they first saw this star, it caused them to, to make this trip, to figure out what they needed. Some believe it could have been a, a three-month-long journey. And um, they would have had to get all of their treasures and all of their supplies and food and water and camels and donkeys and their servants, their guards. Uh, they would have had to have brought extra money and so forth when they made this trip for other expenses that they may run into. And even though they had to do all this planning, even though they may have even had to get permission from somebody who was their boss or the king over there, we see that they got all these resources together. And to them, it was worth it to take this trip. It was worth it to spend all of this money to come and to see the king. And we see there, that again, that this star is going to now lead them to where the Messiah is. When they saw it after they left Herod, it stirred them. It excited them. It brought great encouragement, exceeding joy to the hearts and minds of these wise men and their whole entourage, uh, that this trip was not in vain. The Greek word here for joy, it is in the Greek chara, and it means, according to Strong's Concordance, cheerfulness, calm delight, gladness, great exceeding joy. <clears throat> These wise men, when they saw the star again, they were filled with a calming joy, a cheerfulness and happiness. Maybe they started to wonder, did we make this trip in vain? Did we do all this and come all this way? And man, the star's gone that led us here, and what are we going to do? But the star appeared again, and they had that calming reassurance that their trip was not in vain, that the Messiah, the king, was born in Bethlehem, and the star was now guiding them again on their journey. They rejoice because of the divine presence and guidance that had just uh, received by seeing this star. The very important element that makes Christmas perfect is joy. It's that great calming joy and cheerfulness and, and happiness and gladness of whatever it may, maybe being with loved ones or uh, sharing a, a time with, with each other, maybe being able to give somebody a, a gift that they need and uh, that they would like. First Peter 1, 8 through 9 tells us this. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, 
you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Even though we haven't seen Jesus, when these men finally get there, they get to see Jesus and worship him. We haven't seen him, but we believe in him. And we have this great joy that we can have that's inexpressible, that ultimately through our faith is going to be able to bring the salvation of our souls. The perfect Christmas. You know, we haven't seen the Lord, but we have eyewitnesses that have seen the Lord. Men who have brought this information together in the historical documents of the Bible for us so that we can study it and see it and be able to see that these things are true and have not been found to be false. And because of what we can have and joy inexpressible and greatly rejoice knowing that we haven't believed in vain. Thus the soul-saving message about Christ, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his coronation as King of kings and Lord of lords, the second coming, the judgment, and having eternity with Christ and the Father forever and ever, this brings awesome, great assurance for those who are Christians. And therefore, it should bring a calming joy and cheerfulness and gladness that will brighten our Christmas and make it perfect. And then every day that we can have the joy and happiness that calms and settles and relaxes our soul and very being. A perfect Christmas. Secondly, it was a day of worship. We see there in Matthew 2, verse 11, the first part of that verse. It says, they came into the house. What? They didn't go to a stable? They didn't go to a manger? Hmm. There's contradiction in God's word, isn't there? That's what you see when we see our nativities, right? There's the wise men there at the nativity and baby Jesus laying there in the manger wrapped in clothes. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the shepherds came and they worshipped. Maybe some of the town people when they heard what was going on. And yeah, there could have been some animals around. But it could have been possibly a year. Some say maybe even two years before the wise men came because what did Herod have done? All of the male children of that vicinity from two years old and younger. So what he could derive from what the wise men told him and so forth and when the child was born, they took a two-year chunk. Now, I personally believe it was probably more of around a year but we see that they came to Mary and they went to a house, not a stable. And there's not a baby, there's a child now. So, I mean, he could have even been at the age where he could walk. He could have been a year old or maybe a little bit older and was walking. Now, 
This was the purpose of their quest, to come here and to worship. Matthew 2, 2 says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. These wise men traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles, and they didn't travel this far to go and find and discover some new country. They didn't go on some military excursion to go get treasures and plunder some country. They didn't go to some caves or mines to be able to enrich themselves and go on this big journey. They came hundreds of miles to find Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, who had been born. And when they found him, it says that they fell down and they worshipped him. Worship is an act of homage and reverence. It is to render proper awe and respect to deity. The wise men completed their quest. They got to worship this newborn king, Jesus. Are you involved in worshiping Jesus? Not only it on Christmas Day or at Christmas time, but every first day of the week. Every first day of the week, every Sunday, we can come and worship Him, and bow down before Him and commune with Him. Do we come here just so that we can get something that enriches us? We're coming here to the assembly to worship God, to worship Jesus. That's what we're doing here. And we can do that every first day of the week. And we can worship Him every day of our lives. Now, you may be sitting there and asking yourself in your mind, well, how is this possible, Dave? Well, when we just think of the first day of the week when we assemble, we can worship through our singing of songs and praises and by praying and talking and communicating with God. By gathering around his table of remembrance and communing with him. By hearing a portion of his word. Through hearing the preaching and teaching of it. We can also participate in the fellowship of those of like precious faith. And encourage each other and build each other up. It's interesting to think about. But we do not know if these wise men were Jews. They could be Jews whose families decided to stay in Babylon when the Jews were allowed to go home. But our text, it doesn't tell us that. So if they were from the chosen race and a Jew, they still made this long journey and trip and came and worshiped Jesus. So no matter what, if they were from the Persian race or if they were Jews that were left there, it doesn't matter. They had that information, they saw the star, and they came to worship. But the question for us is, what about you? Are you willing to worship Jesus because of who he is and do it faithfully until death? They came hundreds of miles to worship Jesus. But none of us have to travel hundreds of miles. 
yeah, maybe we get caught in traffic and it takes 45 minutes. You know, maybe we, some of us travel 20 miles or maybe even 25 miles. But again, think about how far these people traveled. You know, it, it's worth it for us to come and to travel, to have a perfect Christmas, to have a perfect time to worship the Lord with those of like precious faith at the assembly. You know, Christmas is not perfect without worship. But our life without worship, worshiping Jesus, it's not perfect either. Thirdly, it was a day of giving. The next part of verse 11 there says, And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. The gifts that the wise men gave were useful and prophetic. What symbolic meaning do these three gifts have for us? Well, gold, this was given to show Christ's status as a king. And uh, in those days, whenever you wanted to honor a king, you gave a gift of gold. So they came honoring him as their king, and they gave him gold. And I don't think they just gave him a few gold coins. I, I think they gave him a nice little treasure, a nice little uh, treasure chest or, or bag or something full of gold. <clears throat> and then also this frankincense. Frankincense here represents his divine status, that he's deity, that he's God. Not only is he a king, but he's the divine son of God. He's the king of the Jews. And this myrrh, this myrrh represents the sacrificial death and anointing with myrrh oil after his death for his burial. All three of these were expensive gifts. They were costly gifts. Gold, again, being the most valuable because it was gold and bought the others. But to have frankincense and to have myrrh back then, again, these were expensive. And depending on how much and uh, how large the quantities were, could have made them even more expensive. And we see again that these were prophetic gifts in, in that symbolic sense, but also physically. These gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh were valuable gifts because they enabled Joseph to finance God's order that they flee to the land, to flee the land because Herod wanted to kill the baby. And remember, they didn't have a lot of money, Joseph and Mary, so they would have needed money to be able to go and live for as long as they had to until Herod did die. So the family was able to go and find refuge, safety in nearby Egypt, and they were able to stay there until Herod died. And they could then safely return to their home in Nazareth. You know, giving of our material means helps to ad advance and to strengthen and to build up the kingdom of God. It's wise to give <clears throat> unto the Lord in obedience to his word. We all like to place our money on tangible things. And the scriptures say if we give, 
We will have treasures in heaven where moth nor rust will destroy. That's tangible. That's eternal, the scriptures say. It's wise to give to others. Are you making friends with your money down here on earth so that you'll have treasures in heaven? Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to the one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it for me. Christmas, it's not perfect without giving. And fourthly, it was a day of obedience. Matthew 2, 12 says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. <clears throat> Herod had told the wise men in Matthew 2, 7-8, Go, make careful search for the child. When you find him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Uh, hmm. But we know what he wanted to do. He wanted to get rid of him. He didn't want any threat to him being king or maybe his posterity being king and sitting on the throne. Now the wise men, they did go and search, and they found the newborn king, but they did not obey Herod, who wanted again to kill him. They instead obeyed God rather than men, and they went another way. You know, just like Peter and John and the apostles in the first century they obeyed God rather than men when they were told not to preach and teach in Jesus' name in Acts 5, 29. And they're also in Peter and John in Acts 4, 19 and 20 says, uh, these men said to the Sanhedrin there, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. They were going to continue to preach and teach about Jesus, Peter and John, and the apostles. That's kind of what the, the wise men did. They received this vision, this dream, and they weren't going to uh, listen to Herod, this king, and what he says and try to please him, but they were going to please God. Uh, therefore, they went some other way uh, on their way back towards uh, Babylon and Persia, back to the east where they were from. These wise men obeyed God, went another way. They were obedient to God and the message that he gave them. And church, we have the example of these wise men, the apostles in the early church. Plus, we have the precious word of God to instruct us and what God wants us to do. We must obey God. We must obey his teachings also. And how can any of us go in the way of the world after we have opened our treasures at the feet of Jesus? You know, how can we go and be the sinful people that we once were? before we became a Christian and 
believed the message and confessed him before men and repented of our sins and were immersed for the forgiveness of our sins and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. How can we do that? We need to then turn from those things and turn to God and righteousness and walk on that straight and narrow path and way. You see, Christmas, it's not going to be perfect without obedience. In conclusion, you will experience a perfect Christmas if you follow the wise men. Behold the star that speaks of joy unspeakable. They came when they found him, and what did they do? They fell down on their knees and they worshiped. And they also gave of their treasures these valuable gifts. And we need to be obedient. And again, go back a different way. After meeting and worshiping the divine Son of God, don't come and meet Him and then keep living the life that you're living. Come and meet Him and then go a different way. Go the path of righteousness. Go that path of the, the straight and narrow way. What a perfect Christian it would be if you would come to the knowledge of the truth and accept Christ, His sacrifice for you on the cross of Calvary. The men are going to come forward for our time of invitation. <clears throat> and if you were here and uh, want to have a perfect Christmas, you could have one by becoming a Christian if you're not one. It's easy to do when we look at the, the plan of salvation that's spelled out for us in the book of Acts and what the early people of the first century had to do to become Christians. They had to hear that message and believe it. And then once they believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, they were to confess that before men. And we know that he will confess us before the Father in heaven. And then we need to repent. <clears throat> repent of our sins. Turn from them and turn to God. And we need to also then be immersed in the watery grave, bearing that old man of sin in that tomb, and to come up out of there as a new creature in Christ, having our sins forgiven and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then once we become a Christian, we need to live a faithful life until our death or until Christ returns.